Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Hi, welcome or welcome back to our online worship service. You know, it's always a joy to have you with us. So thank you for joining us. I believe that today's message is going to be helpful for you, that it's going to help you in your journey to become more like Jesus and to know God better. We've been uh, talking about the subject of marriage. And I know that for singles, they may feel like it's been quite a long time. But you know, marriage is worth doing. And even if you're not married, I believe that we are imparting to you uh, values, truths, principles that in the long run, run, you'll be glad that you uh, paid attention. You know, the truth is that when we get married, we all go into marriage expecting and wanting a happy marriage. We've talked in previous weeks that uh, falling in love is easy. So we figure that staying in love is going to be as well. And you know, the truth is that God wants us to have and enjoy a happy marriage. But that always isn't the case, right? Ecclesiastes 9.9 tells us the following. God says, enjoy life with the woman you love all the days of your life. What is it that he says? To enjoy, not to endure, not to just kind of exist through, but to enjoy. To enjoy life with our wife, with our husband, all the days of our life. And you know, the sad truth is that even though this is what God wants for us, God desires that we would have happy marriages, the truth is that many couples are not happy. Many marriages are not happy. Many marriages are plagued with frustration, dissatisfaction, and hardships. Many marriages end too soon. Many marriages give up way too soon. And you know, one reason for the failure of so many marriages or the misery of so many marriages is that there is an enemy. And this enemy uses three areas of the married life to create tension. And that tension can sap the happiness of our marriages and end up destroying our marriages. That's why in this series, every week, we've told you about these three areas because we want you to learn to recognize them. We want you to be mindful of them. But we also want to show you how to diminish the tension in these three areas. Let me recap really quickly what these three areas are. The first area of tension that if we are not aware of, the enemy can use to destroy our marriage and remove our happiness is unaccepted differences. And the truth is that we're all different. But in marriage, listen to me single people, in marriage differences are magnified even more. So how do we solve differences? How do we relieve the stress that differences produce? Well, we've mentioned a few ways. Let me recap those and I'll give you one new way today. The first way to ease the tension of differences is to embrace differences. We've talked about the difference of unity and uniformity. Unity allows for differences, but there's harmony in spite of differences. Uniformity demands sameness. So embracing differences is living together 
accepting that we are different. The second way to ease tension in differences is to decide to solve the differences. Not to ignore them, not to put them aside, but to decide to solve them. You know, there's a word that fits in the, as we think about this, and that's the word compatibility. And we really need to change our paradigm of compatibility. Because we often think that compatibility is defined by how many things we have in common. But if you want to ease the tension of differences in your marriage, then you have to redefine compatibility to mean how many things you can, you can ease, how many things you can compromise on in order for your marriage to work. Compatibility is moving from what I want as an individual to what we want as a couple. Compatibility is moving from me winning to us winning. And then the third way to ease the tension of differences, and this is a new way that we want to share with you this Sunday, is to create agreements. It's to create agreements in your relationship. You know, agreements are important key to dealing with differences. You know, when, and it's important that every marriage have agreements because of the differences that we have. And some differences are going to be able to be resolved, and some differences we're just going to have to agree to disagree or to be different. And, and, and let me tell you some ways to, to create agreements. But before I say that, it's important that I remind you as a pastor that when we are making agreements, we need to make sure that no agreement violates any moral or biblical issue and principle. No agreement we make should violate any moral issue or biblical principle. No agreement should go against God or his word. So with that in mind, let me give you three things to help you create some agreements in your marriage. You're going to need three things. What are those three components that will help you uh, create some agreements that will ease the tension of differences? Well, that's love, respect, and communication. Yes. Communication is important because communication is going to allow you to discuss your differences, to be able to express your viewpoint and to understand and see the viewpoint of the other person. And love. Well, love is the greatest motivation to solve differences. The truth is that when there's no love, we lack the motivation to do the hard work to solve the differences. Love is the reason that love, better said, is the way that leads us to solutions. And you know, love is so essential because love always gives. Love doesn't demand. Love always gives. So when it comes to agreeing on the differences, love is very essential. But you're also going to need respect. Because respect is going to provide the peace that you're going to need to be able to work through your differences. So agreements are reached when we come with an attitude of love and we use our voice to seek solutions with an attitude of respect and consideration. So that is the first area of tension. The second area of tension is unresolved offenses. So the first is differences and second, unresolved offenses. We've mentioned quite a few times, and it's important that I mention it because I think we live in a time where everybody gets offended for everything. Everybody is so sensitive. And look at what Jesus said in Luke 17, 1. He said, it is impossible that no offense should come. Here's what Jesus is saying, okay? In case that wasn't clear enough. We can't 
avoid offenses. People are going to do offensive things. So what we can do is learn to solve them. Learn to deal with them. How? How do we solve offenses? Well, number one, by forgiving the offender. We got to forgive those that offend us. Jesus said that offenses were going to come. And they're going to come by the people we love and the people closest to us. And in order to ease the tension of the offenses in our life, we're going to have to learn to forgive those who offend us. But second, you don't just forgive the offender. Second, you release the offense from your heart. See, I mentioned you can't control people doing offensive things. But you can control how you respond to those offenses. And you know, the best way to deal with offenses is to release them. To let them go. Because once you let them go, you are set free. Remember that illustration we did a few weeks back of how the hunters would catch monkeys? All the monkeys had to do was let go of the banana and they were free. And the same is true of us. If we release the offense from our heart, well then guess what? The offender can't hurt us anymore. The offense cannot hurt us anymore. The third thing that you can do with offenses to solve offenses is to guard your heart. This is one of my favorite and key life verses. The Bible tells us that above all things guarded, above all things protected, we need to guard our heart. And while I wish we could expand on this topic, uh, just because we're talking about marriage and relationship and offenses, there's two particular things that we need to guard and protect our heart from. And that is revenge and bitterness. Revenge is natural after we've been offended, after we've been hurt. And if we don't release, if we don't protect our heart from revenge, well then revenge is going to lead us to bitterness. So don't allow these desires to have any place in your life. Look at what Romans 12, 17, 18, and 19 says. It says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, listen to this next sentence. Dear friends, never take revenge. When is it okay to take revenge? Never. When are we allowed to take revenge? Never. Well, that seems unfair, pastor. Then that, that, does that mean that those that offend us get to go free? No. Look, look at why we should never take revenge. Look at what he says. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Do you know why we hold on to offenses? Because in our heart, we believe that the offender has to pay for what they did. See, the reason we hold on to those offenses is because we want those that hurt us, those that offended us, to pay for what they did. Retaining an offense is retaining unrealized revenge. And that unrealized revenge, you know what it produces in our hearts? You know what it produces in our lives? Bitterness. And bitterness is dangerous. 
Bitterness is the opposite of happiness. And we can't have happy marriages if we have a bitter heart. And see, the root of bitterness is so dangerous, it's so poisonous that when it grows in our heart, not, it not only contaminates us, listen to this, but it contaminates others. Bitterness is contagious. Look at what Hebrews 12, 15 says. It says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting how many? Marriages. So you see, if we don't forgive the offender, if we don't release the offense and guard our hearts, then we can't have happy marriages because bitterness will make us into really poisonous, bitter people. The third area of tension is unmet needs. And this is sort of a, where we've been camping the most during this series. You know, in recent weeks, uh, we've shown you guys that illustration of the emotional love bank. And uh, this illustration says that, that uh, love is like a bank and that there's actions that make deposits and there's actions that make withdrawals. And that when our emotional love tank is low, well, then love begins to wane. Happiness begins to, to disappear. And we've looked, we've looked at the advice that, that God gives us in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And in it, he tells us how we can renew our love, how we can turn things upside down, how we can rewrite the script. And, you know, we've, we've looked at this verse, but I think there's one word that I really haven't made much emphasis on because I think sometimes as Christians, there's certain words that we know that we're so familiar with that we just take for granted. So look at, let, let me read those verses again. And then there's one word that I want to emphasize today because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak specifically to some of you. Look at what Revelations 2, 4 and 5 says. This is God speaking and he says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen, right? And we've talked about that. And then he says, turn back, turn back. He says, turn back to me and do the things you did at first. Now, that word turn back that is used in the New Living Translation and other versions is the word repent. And to repent means to change our way of thinking in such a way that it changes our behavior. That's true repentance. True repentance is not feeling sorry for what we did. True repentance is not feeling sorry that we got caught. True repentance doesn't mean that we feel the pain of, of our choices. No, true repentance is a change of mind that is reflected in our behavior. And see, many of us, in order to renew our marriage, in order to improve our relationships, we need to repent because we have failed God and our spouses. And you may be thinking, well, I really haven't done anything against God. I can understand maybe I've done some harm towards my loved ones, but towards God, well, yes, you have. Because, you know, if Jesus said that if we do something for the least of these, we did it unto him. So if doing good things for our neighbor is as if we were doing them to God, well, then when we hurt others, we also hurt God. And see, God's word and his spirit 
can lead you to repentance. To the repentance that changes your mind. And that change of mind is reflected in your behavior. And when that happens, let me tell you, you can begin to experience the marriage, the type of relationship that God wants you to have. So we need to repent. And one of the things we need to repent is that we haven't been meeting the needs of our spouse. And in this series, we've been looking, we've been talking about the 10 needs of marriage. Five that are the main needs of the husband and five that are the main needs of the wife. We've already looked at, at needs one through four of the husband and the wife. And today, I want us to look at need number five of every wife. So husbands, you got to pay close attention. And let me tell you, let me just tell you in advance what that is and what the fifth need, and then we'll go into a little bit more detail. The fifth need of your wife is that she needs you to be a family man. Your wife needs you to be a family man. When we become committed family men, our marriage is renewed. Why don't we review those first four needs and then we'll talk a little bit more about this fifth need. We've mentioned that in order to renew our marriage, as husbands, we first need to meet the need of affection in the life of our wife. And her second need after affection is her need for conversation. And her third need is her need for honesty and transparency. She wants to know what goes on in our heart. She wants to know what goes on in our head. She wants to know what goes on in our life. And as we've mentioned, she has a right to. And her fourth need, the fourth need that renews marriage is when a husband meets the need of financial support in the life of his wife. But the fifth need, and the one we're going to talk about today, is that we got to meet her need for commitment to the family. We got to meet her needs. She need, women need us. Wife need us to be family men. You know, women generally have a stronger disposition for the family. They're more inclined to prioritize and, and to value uh, the family more than, than we do men. We, 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 we are sort of the providers and we want to be the ones to, to provide all, their, all they need. But we don't have that inclination for the most part as women do. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't. Because wives need their husbands to take to, to be in part, to take part, to be involved in the instruction of the children. To be a family man, not just a provider. You know, your wife needs you to be a family man. And let me go further than the fact that your wife needs you. God expects you to be involved in the upbringing and instruction of the children. God expects every husband to be a family man. Look at what Proverbs 1 verses 8 and 9 says. It says here, and, the, and here Solomon is speaking to his children. And here's the advice that he gives them. He says, hear your father's teaching. See, there's an expectation that it's not just the mother who instructs, but it is the father who instructs. Now, let me say something, because it's important that I think we understand this. Many husbands think that because they correct their children, they're instructing and not bringing their children. 
And while discipline, as we will talk in a minute, is part of upbringing, it is not the full expression of raising children. And here Solomon says, hear your father's teachings, my son, and do not turn away from your mother's teaching. He says, for they are a glory to your head and a chain of beauty around your neck. And then look at what Ephesians 5.26 says. And he says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Let me make a correction about that verse. It is not found in Ephesians. It's found in Deuteronomy. I must have made a mistake when I was writing my notes. So I wanted to make that correction. And you know, wives know something. Wives have known something for so much longer than psychology has. And psychology has recently discovered what wives have known for a long time. What is that, Pastor? Well, that fathers have a great influence over their children. Listen to me, guys. You as a father, as a male figure, you have enormous, enormous life-altering influence over your children. And the example that a father, the, 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 the example that a father uh, gives his children, the involvement that a father gives to his children is so influential in the life of a child. You've surely heard the saying, right? Like father, like son. Or perhaps the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So with this in mind, with the fact that your wife needs you to be a family man because your influence is so powerful, is so enormous, how can we as husbands set a good example and be a good influence in our homes? Well, let me suggest four ways. Number one, to be a committed family man, the first thing we can do and we ought to do is be faithful to our wife. To be a family man, the first thing you got to do is be faithful to your wife. Family commitment begins with marital commitment. You know, many people today make the mistake that they think that they can be unfaithful to their spouse and still be faithful to their kids. And that's not true. John Wooden used to say that the best thing you can do for your children is to love your wife. Proverbs 6.32 tells us the following. It says, but the man who commits adultery is what? An utter fool. Why is it foolish to commit adultery? Here's why. For he destroys himself. You know, in our days, being faithful is not the norm. It's not the norm. It's the exception. It, the norm is to be unfaithful. You know, being faithful is not popular. Being faithful is not honorable. It's not something that is even expected in many cases. Television, movies, magazine, music, and so many other medias, they project that infidelity is just part of relationships and it's normal. That's why. That's why we got to be careful what we watch, what we see. That's why we got to be careful what we allow to enter into our being. But you know, for those of us, for those of us that follow Christ, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, for those of us that have been washed by the blood, for those of us that have, been, that have experienced the love of Christ, 
Faithfulness needs to be a priority. Because unfaithfulness doesn't please the Lord. Do you know why faithfulness is so important? Well, first, because faithfulness reflects your commitment to God. Faithfulness is a sign that God matters in your life. Faithfulness is a sign that God is really God in your life and not just the genie. Faithfulness is important because faithfulness is part of the marital covenant. God designed marriage to be between two people, not two and a half or three or four or five or six. See, marriage before God is a covenant, not a contract. A contract can be broken, but a covenant could not. Because a covenant involved giving your word. A covenant involved making a promise. And see, faithfulness is important because faithfulness produces trust in a relationship. And then trust gives freedom. When you're faithful, there has to be no secrets. When you're faithful, there's no jealousy. And when you're faithful, you don't have nothing to worry about. You create trust and that trust gives you freedom in your relationship and as a person. But faithfulness is important as well because faithfulness is a blessing to your children. You know, I have yet to hear and I am certain that I will die one day and I will never hear somebody say, I am better because my parents had an affair. I had a better childhood. I had a better upbringing thanks to my parents' infidelity. You know, faithfulness in marriage gives strength, stability, security to your kids. And that in return is a blessing to them. And last but not least, faithfulness is important because unfaithfulness comes at a high price. Unfaithfulness has bankrupt and collapsed marriages. And the cost of infidelity is not only financial, it's also emotional, relational, and spiritual. So if you want to be a family man, the first thing you can do is be faithful to your wife. The second thing to be a family man is to share in the responsibilities of raising the kids. Share in the responsibilities. Look at what Ephesians 6, 4 tells us. It says, fathers, fathers, okay, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, Bring them up. In other words, raise them, instruct them. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Fathers, guys, we have a social, we have a moral, and we have a spiritual responsibility to instruct and discipline our children. You know, today many fathers have relinquished that responsibility to schools to the church, to, to TV, to the grandma, to the mom. And you know, before God, we have a part to play in raising our children. You know, to instruct and to discipline is to guide our children in the right direction. Raising our children is not about raising perfect children. No parent is perfect. Can I just say that again? You know, that is so liberating. If there's nothing you take this morning, please take that. There are no perfect parents. Not even Jesus' earthly parents were perfect. 
So you're not going to be a perfect child, a perfect parent. And you want to know something else that is liberating? None of us will raise perfect children. The Bible says that there are no, that there is none that is perfect. So we're not going to raise perfect children, but we are to do the best we can. And, the, and we are to always seek to instruct and, and discipline our children with love. And let me tell you, when you do that, you're going to do a fine job. You're going to do a great job. And you know, instructing and disciplining our kids and doing it in love will mean at times that difficult decisions need to be made. Love sometimes is hard love. Love sometimes causes people to experience pain to save them from greater pain. You know, there was a, a study of juvenile uh, delinquents, juvenile offenders that was made. They, 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 they interviewed many uh, uh, teens who, who had a criminal record and they were asked about, about their parents' feelings towards them, how they saw or interpret the way their parents loved them. And almost every one of them said that their parents didn't love them because they didn't discipline them or instruct them. And you know, we need to discipline our children because they need to understand that there's limits. If we don't do it, the law will, society will, the world will, and they'll experience greater pain than the pain that they may feel if we instruct them, if we discipline them now. And see, raising children can be complicated. And as I mentioned, there's no perfect way there's no one size fits all. I've, I'm always reminded by the professor, the university professor who used to give a class on, on parenting and family. And he used to say, he said, you know, before I had children, I had three theories about raising children. He says, now I have three theories. I, he says, now I have three children and no theories. So there isn't a one-size-fits-all. There's values, there's guidelines that can help us. So I want to share a couple of guidelines to help you instruct and discipline your children. Number one, be consistent. Be consistent. When you correct your children, if you correct them one time for something, but then you don't do it another time, that sends the wrong message. If you have multiple children and you correct one for something, but you don't do the others, you're sending the wrong message. Be consistent. If you say, if you do that, I'm going to punish you by doing this and you don't do it, you're being inconsistent and you're sending the wrong message. The Bible says that our yeses need to be yeses and our noes need to be no. So in raising our children, we got to be consistent. Second, as you seek to discipline and instruct your children, discipline, don't punish. Many parents get it wrong because they think both are the same. But they're not. And knowing the difference, I think, is the difference between good parenting and damaging parenting. You know, punishment focuses on us as the parent, focuses on me. And it focuses on having my child pay for what he did. And punishing damages many times. It damages the spirit and the character of the child. But discipline, discipline focuses on the child and on their future. Discipline focuses not on having them pay for what they did, 
but it focuses on their character. It focuses on correcting their character so that their future can be a bright one. And then the next guideline is that you got to work in agreement with your spouse. You know, you and your spouse are not always going to see eye to eye when it comes to some cases in the actions you should take. It's important that you don't contradict each other regarding discipline. If you disagree, make sure that you privately reach an agreement. And then last but not least, when you're instructing and discipline, control your anger. You know, if I'm honest, it's easy to lose our temper with our kids. And anger, anger doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. So we have to make sure that as we correct them in discipline and instruct them, that we first check ourselves, that we are not coming from a place of anger, that we're not coming from a place of wrong motives. Third, if you want to be a committed family man, you got to take the lead in home repairs. I know you probably weren't expecting this, but I'm sure if your wife's hearing this, she probably definitely agrees with me. Look at what Ecclesiastes 10:18 says. It says, laziness leads to a sagging roof. Idleness leads to a leaky house. Now, it's important that you understand that I intentionally chose the word, take the lead. Because I understand that not all of us are handymen. Not all of us are good with tools. Although I think every man ought to know how to change a light bulb. Every man ought to know how to turn the faucet. And there's little things that we ought to know. But listen, the things that you can fix, it's important that you, as the man of the house, do that. And if you don't know about plumbing, if you don't know about electricity, if you don't know about roofing, well, take the lead and call somebody. You know, if you're anything like me, which I believe you are, I'm sure your wife has a honey-do list. You're familiar with that, right? Honey, I need you to do this. Honey, I need you to do that. And you know, let, let me tell you why this is so important to women. Because home is their castle. Home is their oasis. Home is their resting place. So if their castle is falling apart, it doesn't feel like a castle. So if you want to be a family man, take the lead in home repairs. And then last but not least, if you want to be a family man, and this is important, you got to be the spiritual leader of your home. You got to be the spiritual leader. And let me tell you that nothing will pay more dividends. Nothing will make a bigger difference in your family like you being the spiritual leader that you need to be. Many men, they think that they can't be the spiritual leader because they haven't been a Christian as long as their wife. Or maybe their wives know more about the Bible. But let me tell you something. Spiritual leader is a matter of attitude first, not knowledge. Yes, you need to add knowledge. But it first begins with an attitude, with a disposition. And see, you as a husband, you're the spiritual leader, not because you know more but because God made you the spiritual leader. Look at what 1 Corinthians 11.2 says. He says, I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man. And the husband is the head of his wife. God is the head of Christ. So see, you're not a leader because you were uh, the most knowledgeable one. You're a leader because that's the responsibility. That's the task that God gave you. And you know, if you want to be a good spiritual leader, there's two things you got to do. Number one, you have to accept the responsibility. And two, you have to take initiative. 
And you know, there's some areas and some ways that you can take initiative as a spiritual leader. And these are very practical ways that no matter how long you've been a Christian, you can do these. And these will make you into a better spiritual leader. Let me mention three of them really, really quick. Number one, take initiative and responsibility for you guys to pray together. When should we pray together, pastor? At dinner time. At bedtime. On special locations. When somebody's sick, pray for your child. When, somebody's got, when somebody has a big day, take the initiative to pray for them. You know, one of the things that we do before we go on a long trip, we pray as a family. The second thing that you can do as a spiritual leader is to read the Bible and to read it together with your kids. Let me ask you a question. Chances are that you've bought your kids a PlayStation, a phone, and so on. Have you bought them a Bible? Do your kids own a Bible? Do you own a Bible? You know, if you take time to read the Bible, you're going to be a good spiritual leader. And then last but not least, to be a good spiritual leader, take your family to church. Make church non-negotiable. You know, growing up in my dad's home, church was not something that we decided whether we wanted to do or not. You know, let me be honest with you. I find it very hard that there's people in our days today that wake up Sunday morning and they decide whether they're going to go to church or not. You know, that's a really strange faith. If I'm honest with you, I think that's a very unbiblical faith. Because church is part of our faith uh, walk. It's part of our faith journey. We're part of God's family. So make church non-negotiable. And if you do these things, they will help you become a better spiritual leader. Let me wrap up with this. You know, it's easy to hear all this and feel overwhelmed. And many men do. And when men feel overwhelmed, what do they do? Well, they give up. But I want you to know that there's a better option than giving up. And that better option is God. God is there not just to communicate the expectations. God is there to help us. And with God, I believe you can excel in your role as a family man. And you know, God can enable us to be great fathers because he's the greatest father. God can help us become good fathers because he's the good, good father. Look at what Luke 7, 11 says. This is Jesus speaking and he says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So wherever you lack, ask your heavenly father and he will help you. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love, in Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. 
We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.